Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing over there? Uh, I, am, I am pleased with the sound quality. This is a, <laughs> this is a running thing. Whenever we um, record in uh, a different... There's a studio we use sometimes. Yeah. Um, that, we, that we book for the show. We've specified and, what studio it is in the past. Yeah, but let's, let's keep... Okay, fair enough. I, I, I don't know. I, on a whim, I've decided it's a secret today. Um, <laughs> and we always like to make mention of the fact that our sound quality improves when yeah. we use a studio because it's a very nice equipment this is uh used by a popular paid podcast they can uh they can buy this nice equipment but it's always that's always by the way assuming that we don't screw it up in post uh right, and right. um but long time listeners know that when the sound quality is so much improved and I talk about it it's because we have a guest a I would say a VIP guest we can have <laughs> Any old, you know, we can have a, a a Pete Holmes or a Matt Dwyer or, you know, these uh, just your run-of-the-mill guests over to your apartment. But when we record here at the studio, yeah. it's a special occasion. We want to make a good impression. So, you got uh, your tie and everything. All right. This is a running gag? Yeah, it's fun. Um, well, you are wearing a tie. It's, it's a running that. gag that I, uh, I get... I get uh, made fun of by Tyler for wearing a tie on every episode. I almost wore a tie today, and then I, re- then I remembered <laughs> I was wearing jeans. I'm like, I don't feel like changing my pants. Well, I'm. Uh, this is this is the way I dress, and every and the world's just going to have to get used to it. But, ladies and gentlemen, listen up. We have <laughs> we have a special guest, uh, a, uh, a very special guest, uh, someone who is, uh, I think, uh, certainly a very important person to people like me and Tyler and a lot of our listeners who are comedy nerds. Mm-hmm. I mean. That's sort of our niche. We're the film nerd podcast for comedy nerds, uh, and so when 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 this person wrote to us, mm-hmm. no less. Uh, it, well, uh, there was a Facebook interaction before right, that, but, but yes. our, our lives have changed for the better since then. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's that's uh, more than enough uh, anticipation to be built up. Uh, Lorraine Newman is here. Hello, guys. Hello. Yes, I just sprinkled some fairy dust after writing you, and, and mm-hmm. then your lives improved. Yeah. That's, I have the touch. It is, well, I'll, I'll say this, and my, my hope is that in, in this compliment, there's not some sort of insult. I don't think so. I don't so. think there is, so I'm, here I we don't go. perceive it, but, you know, I'll be at home at 3 in the morning after this, okay. and I'll wake up sweating, thinking, those mother... <laughs> and you, can, you can say motherfucker on this podcast. Oh, okay. right We'd ahead. also... Yeah, we are recording at a at 2 o'clock in the morning right now, oh. so you'll be home at 3 <laughs> oh. o'clock in the morning. I wanted to just set the scene for the listener. Oh, it okay. Is, it is 2 o'clock, 2 a.m. in Studio City. David, I love your theater of the mind. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is that... Uh, so uh, it's it's pretty uh, common knowledge amongst the listeners that uh, my mom does not listen to this show, has never listened to a single episode. In spite Otherwise, of the fact, we couldn't say motherfucker, for example. Really? Um, but uh, but then when I said, "Guess who we've got? We've got Lorraine Newman," and I didn't even I didn't even have to say she's that woman from, from the first few seasons of SNL. I didn't even have that to say movie that. she did for money that she <laughs> hopes nobody sees that's on the video shelf. Um, but but uh, name recognition from my mother, that's what you've got. Awesome. She knew, I didn't even have to say who, like, Stephen Tobolowsky, I still had to be like, it's that guy from Groundhog Day. Oh, he's Day. so great. But, I love uh, him. So, yeah, I'm very excited because I feel like you've ratcheted us up into, Thank like, a higher, a higher... Uh, Level. Oh shucks! Thank you. So. Can, Thank can you I also much. tell a, a, a story about uh, being back home? And I, this is a starts off as a sadder story. I was back home because my father had passed away. Oh, I'm so sorry. And uh, 
Well, you did a great deal to help me uh, feel a lot better. It was something I definitely needed a release, and I was living in Chicago at the time and didn't, you know, college student, we didn't have cable. I'd heard of this thing, Cur- Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'd heard it was good, and so I was home, couldn't sleep. You know, it really was, actually was like 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, just less than a week after my dad had died, and I was just flipping channels, and I, and I landed on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I was like, oh, I've heard this is good. And you did a scene that just, like, it, like, snapped something in me, and I was, like, essentially howling like it was like this oh cathartic release of laughter oh, at two gosh. o'clock in the morning in my yes. in my mom's basement oh thank you uh and i don't know what it says about me that i found that particular scene so funny because oh, it's kind of a dar- gr- darkly comic therapy? scene oh, yeah god um, yeah but it uh, yeah it was it was something i needed it uh that was a that it was well, a wonderful thank you wonderful i i was scene. told i would be the moderator for that group <laughs> and then they said no you're you're a you're a person who's a victim a survivor this was like an, like an incest. It was an incest survivor group, and Larry goes there to support, you know, a, um, an ex girlfriend. An ex girlfriend, not realizing that you can't be in the <laughs> meeting unless you're actually a survivor yourself. So he makes something up, and of course that comes full circle because you know that's what he does is he constructs a wonderful herald, <laughs> which is a long form <laughs> improv, and. Um, yeah, it was such a fun show to work on. I really had a great time. I mean, how, how much? I mean, that's a you know, Kirby enthusiasm is known for being largely improvised. It's completely uh, improvised. So the yeah. the particulars of the story that you you oh, tell yeah, was completely all made up. That's yes, fantastic. yeah, it's um, you just know who you are. That's it, and it, it's just a great way to work. It's been so so many attempts have been made to do improv on TV. And he's really the first person who's done it successfully, I think. And that, that actually, and this, I guess this will lead us uh, surprisingly well into the, uh, the interview portion of the show. We can um, never have, a, I don't know you don't listen to the show, we can never have a good fortuitous segue on the show without ruining it by commenting on, oh, this you know works what? out I, I think you guys need sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, something. Uh, even music cues, something to... Um, but... Uh, because I, it is something we uh, we have a lot of you know comics on the show and many of them do stand up and they also do uh, improvisation, and improv is something that I myself uh, I'm not a huge fan of because I've seen it done poorly so often, but when it is done well, which is and Curb Your Enthusiasm is like the perfect example, when it is done well, there is something. All, I'm, I'm reluctant to use the term because it's almost hyperbolic. There's something vaguely genius about it where you're just like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Because even stand-up, which I, which I love, even that, like, it's pre-written material, and the person may riff here and there, and that's a lot of fun. But uh, but that sounded dismissive. Pretty dismissive, yeah. Yeah, it's, they riff it's, here it's, there, it's and an I guess incredible it's craft. <laughs> it's an incredible craft. Whereas, um, whereas, like, good improv, there is just something... It can be tr- transcendent. Yeah. Yes, my dear. Well, you know, I, I really... My background at the Groundlings, I came out and did character monologues because mm-hmm. actually I'm really not a great improviser. Mm. And uh, I go there now and I see shows and I am flabbergasted. There's a show there called The Black Version. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. It's an all-black cast and the audience gives them like an iconic movie and they improvise the black version of that <laughs> movie. And it's unbelievable. Those actors are so talented and, you know, they, they, everybody has, like, their, you know, trunk full of characters that they do. But it all has a context that they were not prepared to do. 
that is what the magic is. And I, I'm dazzled by it. I just, I wish I could do that. And so you mentioned uh, groundlings. Let's, mm-hmm. let's go back. Let's, uh, let's now go back. Now here's a sound effect back. right now, right here, <laughs> would be great. Yes. But maybe we can get you to just do a couple of those doyoing type things afterwards. Yeah, we'll edit it. Just a clean, yeah. But so, and I and I'm, I I apologize. I know you've probably answered questions like this for a long time, several, you know, uh, many times. Uh, but I'm going to have to ask all of them again. That's okay. So, uh, so how did you get started in in comedy and acting and performing? Where did uh, where did the drive come from, and how'd you get started? Well, uh, it was encouraged in our house, just mm-hmm. you know, funniness. Um, my sister is nine years older than me. And when I was still in high school, um, she was in New York. Uh, she was a folk singer, and she was the MC at the Bitter End also. And that was where she met a lot of stand-ups, people like Richard Pryor and John Biner and lots of incredible people. And I became enthralled with mime, and I don't want anybody to hold this against me. <laughs> but I met Marcel Marceau, and he sent me to a mime teacher in Los Angeles who also taught improv. I didn't know I was going to be taught improv, but I was. And uh, that teacher formed an improv group and had me join it. I was the only teenager. It was all adults. Uh, then I started teaching improv at my high school. I staged a show at the high school, and I, I really dug it. I mean, I've always liked getting laughs. I always um, – that was my focus. So um, I graduated high school. I didn't really have the grades for college, had no interest in going to college. Um, auditioned for a bunch of acting schools in Europe, got through the preliminary auditions – didn't make it to the final auditions, uh, then um, studied with Marcel Marceau in Paris for a year, mm-hmm. came back here, and my sister was in this improv workshop that was uh, started by this guy named Gary Austin, who had been in the committee in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and she had me join it. She mm-hmm. said, why don't you come and join this? And eventually we formed the Groundlings from that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting just in, in listening to the story because... Because my my in, my instinct to is to ask like so you were you were in the Groundlings, oh wait no, you started the Groundlings <laughs> well, like it's I don't know it's uh, I, I'm it's among the exciting. people that started it yeah I'm I like among to them. think it was you yeah it was me yourself. personally that's yeah. right back cracky, <laughs> um, but also I was at uh, somebody asked me to be their audition partner for Cal Arts and um, they asked me to enter Cal Arts from the audition. So I was there for about three months, and that's where I met Paul Rubens. Mm-hmm. And then I left CalArts because I didn't like the acting part. Mm-hmm. I liked the improv. I just didn't like acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think – well, I know that he joined the Groundlings because of me. I was the one that recommended it. So it's just – it's a synchronicity. It's a very <laughs> small world. Um, and then uh, – so what, uh, y- what years are we talking about? Are we early um, 70s? Yeah, early okay. 70s, and uh, Lorne Michaels and Lily Tomlin, he was producing um, her special. Mm-hmm. And they came to see the Groundlings because they needed guys for the mm-hmm. show. And they saw me doing 
a Valley Girl character, and they hired me to do this character in a sketch called Susie's Sorority. Mm-hmm. I had one line, which turned into a monologue, which is thrilling for me. I was 22. Mm-hmm. And then um, Lorne came back when he was hired to do Saturday Night Live, you know, saw me doing new characters and new material, and he hired me for this summer replacement show uh-huh. that was only going to be 13 weeks with a five-year option. Like that'll ever happen. Mm-hmm. So, and that and that is one of the things that fascinates me. Um, from time to time, I'll have somebody on the show who's who you know just started this thing. Like we had uh, Townsend Coleman, who did the voice of among other things Michelangelo um, from the teenage from the teenage. Show. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, yes. oh okay. <laughs> and um, got it. Sorry, I just naturally assume everyone knows who I'm talking about, right? Not the uh, famous artist. <laughs> so when someone says the word Michelangelo, you think of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle first. Well, when you said yeah. voice of Michelangelo, I figured it was something to do with cartoons <laughs> okay. or characters. Um, well, there was that short-lived uh, cartoon about, uh, you know, the famous artist Michelangelo. Yes, <laughs> sculptor. But, uh, but anyway, and so um, I'm fascinated by the idea of someone who just, you know, just agrees to do this thing. It seems like a fun gig, only to find that it is in many ways changes the face of of pop culture certainly but just american culture in general and so the idea of and of course saturday night live i i got to say it's much more famous than the teenage mutant ninja turtles but uh, <laughs> so to to have been a part of that early on when no one really knew what it was like i don't know at what point did it start to become a thing and you realize oh i'm part of something fairly groundbreaking you know now you're asking about dates, oh, okay. and uh, that I'm not very good with dates. Um, you can keep it broad if you like. I think that uh, when people started, when we'd be walking down the street and people were shouting out lines from the show the night before, uh-huh. that's when we kind of got a sense that uh, we were actually being watched. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, our time slot was, was uh, kind of a graveyard, and we were treated by the network uh, as if, nobody's watching and they weren't either that's why we felt like we were just writing for ourselves Uh and i think it's important to do that to always do that Mm. write for yourselves um yeah Uh, my question um and i uh, i i won't ask you uh to go into too many uh salacious details about that era at saturday night live because it's (laughs) well documented elsewhere like live in new york live in new york and stuff like that uh, but my question actually has more to do with um, with both of these things, the Groundlings and Saturday Night Live, being uh, being in at at the beginning, and then those things continuing to exist. And, and in both cases, they you know have rotating rosters all the time. Like, what is your relation to those things now? Both, I mean, not not just like I guess professionally, but just how? What are your feelings toward? Uh, do you I'm feel very proprietary. Well, I'm very happy to see that that a lot of groundlings have have been part of the cast mm-hmm. because they didn't have a name the way Second City did, right. uh, and I think um, <coughs> the proposition, which was the group that Jane came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've said this ad nauseum, but I got teased a lot for the name of you know the, what's that group you came from the Groundhogs and you know it was uh, and, and then I think I remember coming back to LA at one point and we had moved from our theater on Oxford to uh, a little theater across the street from the theater we're at now because it was in, under construction mm-hmm. and 
they were all over the place. They didn't have a particularly good show at the time, and I had brought John and Danny to see them, and they were awful. <laughs> so I had no credibility. <laughs> so it was it was tough. Um, so I'm really glad to see, especially Bridesmaids, I think is a real... Mm-hmm. Um, a real triumph and a game changer on so many levels. And that is a real Groundlings uh, movie. I know yeah, Melissa McCarthy was a Groundling who people like me who have been fans of Gilmore Girls for 10 years have already mm-hmm. known how great Melissa McCarthy is. And Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph and uh, Maya, uh, Kristen Wiig and another girl who's a Groundling wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, a lot of the cast, except for, I think, um, oh, God, the girl, uh, Rose. Rose um, Byrne. Rose Byrne. And the writer's name is Annie, uh, Annie starts with an M. I don't have it in front of me. Momolo? Momolo? Momolo, yeah. Wanted to give credit where credit is due. Absolutely. (laughs) Sort of stabbing in the dark at at the name. So, you know, I, um, in terms of being proprietary, I, I'm just very proud of them. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's a standard of uh, work that comes out of the Groundlings that is just exceptional. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen, uh, unfortunately, I've only seen one show there, and it was a couple years ago. But it is interesting, because I didn't really recognize any of the people. Uh, and then since then, I've seen a lot of them pop up here and there. There's a guy who uh, showed up on Community. And, um, and I remember thinking, like, Oh, that's that guy from the Groundlings. Good. Mm-hmm. I, like I was very excited for him. Like yeah. I felt, uh, I felt I do. I didn't know him, and I only saw him in one show. But I was so happy for him, and I yeah. was very proud of him. Yeah. Now, as far as the Groundlings, like feeding into Saturday Night Live, is that also you know, uh, Second City also feeds into Saturday Night Live. That's where Tina Fey came right. from and stuff. Right. Um, is there? Um, it's sort of like. You know, when I went to high school, it was in my school district, there was people who came from Selvage Middle School and people who came from Crestview Middle School fitted in, filled into Marquette High School. And for that first year, at least that first semester, there was almost like a competition of who, 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 was, who was who, which middle school was better. Does that exist at Saturday Night Live? I don't know. You don't know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not there, so right. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I don't look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the cast. I love the cast when Tina Fey was in it and Amy Poehler, who she started her own group, too, with mm-hmm. Upright Citizens yeah. Brigade. So um, I love the show. Mm-hmm. I love sketch comedy, and I love good sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. So with the advent of TiVo and my children sleeping through the night, I got to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I've always loved watching it. Yeah. Do you feel... Um and again, it is not my intention to uh, d- to have any uh, dirt slinging or salacious details. But do you? F- are there different casts that you feel differently? Like, do you watch some and go like, "Oh, we were way better," or do you watch others <laughs> and never, say like, "Oh, these I never think that. Mm-hmm. I never watch it from that point of view because I think that uh, they've all got uh, a hard." Uh, is it uh, road to hoe? Is that is that That's the expression? That's a big I mean, you know, nobody really. They, they've just they've got a tough situation, and it's it's really not fair because I remember uh, when they first released uh, the DVDs of the first few seasons, 
And I just, you know, sat down all eager and started watching him. I was like, wow, this this is not that funny, you know. <laughs> and, you know, some things held up, but very, you know, first season and, you know, a lot of stuff is just doesn't hold up that much. And, mm. you know, uh, so I, I'm not going to take anything away from people who want to believe that we were the best cast. We certainly all had our moments, you mm. know, but mm. every cast has. Every cast has had exceptional people in it and exceptional sketches and exceptional seasons. Mm -hmm. And it's just that we were the first. Mm -hmm. And um, we probably were very meaningful in the lives of the people that watched it at that time. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to take anything away from them. Mm -hmm. But I I look at it as like, and of course, you know, it's embarrassing because I've said this before too many times, if you look at the abilities of an Olympic athlete in the 50s versus what they can do now, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it was like then, and it's so different now. And I, I just I don't think you can compare it. Mm-hmm. I think I think it does speak volumes that you that you watch the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mean, yeah. You don't just sit there bitterly, like I think I would. If I was in your no. circumstance. No, if you love that kind of work, you're always going to love it. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time on Saturday Night Live because uh, I feel like, as David said, stuff like that has been well documented. But one thing that I am interested in, because the show was such, you know, and almost almost immediately a hit. Like the first season did well, right? And then like the first two. People picked I think up on it pretty first quick. One and a half seasons. One and a half. Yeah. Um, and do you know why? Do you, or not? Not so much that you know because it's interpretation. Do you have any theories as to why there was something about that show at that time that people picked up on? Just culturally, was it something that you guys were doing that other people were not, or was it just? Uh, well, um, even laughing in its form was uh, very much. It was not written by young people. Mm. Mm. This show was. This show, um, just as the youth market started to have its uh, strength and um, its place in the world with, like, the Beatles, Mm -hmm. um, that whole move towards catering to a youth market began with something like the Beatles and rock Mm -hmm. music. That was a very meaningful shift in the culture because up until then the 50s which <laughs> i know nothing about <laughs> um you know it, it, teenagers were really marginalized mm-hmm. um they had a voice after that and they had a presence and they had obviously spending power so things were geared towards them but they there was no real comedy show mm-hmm. that represented them in content and voice and style and ours did and I guess in many ways it does relate to, I mean, it relates to music, film, just art in general in the 70s. Just it was a different generation who, they, you know, they remember the 50s, they grew up in the 60s, and now they're adult, I mean, young adults, you know, in their early 20s, but now it's sort of their turn. And so then you get filmmakers like Spielberg and Scorsese and, and you know, you get shows like yours, you get uh, bands that previously nobody had heard anything like. And so... Um, it just seemed to be a, a time when you mentioned, you jokingly mentioned the word synergy. Like, just for some reason, all types of art just seemed to converge in that in that decade and say, "Yes, this is we 
we are interested in reflecting what's going on and we're not going to we're not going to sugarcoat it yeah and you know also canada had a real presence at that time too uh for many reasons it was it was a young english speaking culture mm-hmm. um and sctv was an extraordinary show mm-hmm. with also its own unique style because of people like harold ramus and joe flaherty and john candy and dave thomas and mm-hmm. All you know, Andrea Martin and uh, Catherine O'Hara, all writers, you know, all with a really specific style. And to me, those shows hold up because they didn't do topical things. Hmm. Uh, they it was all character-driven content, and um, I thought their show was great. And but Canada stu- really had a presence also mm-hmm. in that time. And some stuff has. Uh since become relevant uh, again, like uh, John Candy's 3D theater, which oh. uh, well, 3D coming back. And, right. uh, I didn't see the new Pirates, but someone said like, oh yeah, there's at least like five instances where someone thrusts a, a, a sword towards the camera. And I just think of uh, John Candy just thrusting his hand, with, looking very mysterious. Oh God. But, uh, you know, I do want to say, uh, one thing I, I do want to just uh, go on the record saying that your years of Saturday Night Live did better than the current ones is the musical guests. Mm. Because I feel like now there's, it, it feels more like, and I'm sure it always was someone promoting an album or something, but like it feels like that more. And it feels like now, like they try and have a guest or a, a host and a musical guest sort of that relate to one another to get to a certain demographic or whatever to get them to watch that week. Mm. And it felt like, uh, it feels like if you, if you look at the, Original like musical guest, uh, earlier musical guest that, that wasn't a yeah, concern. It seemed like I, they just liked music and let's I, just have people on. Yeah, it do- I, I remember. I mean, finally they had the Black Keys on. Three mm-hmm. years earlier, I was telling Lauren about the Black Keys. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at times they did break artists. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and. They don't really do that anymore. It's really a sure thing. It's a machine. The show is an absolute machine. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it's completely different in that sense. And I really wish that they did, since they do have the opportunity, that they did showcase new bands. But it's mm-hmm. just not that kind of show anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, you you would have been there when, when Fear played, mm-hmm. right? Which is yeah. a, a pretty big <laughs> yeah. deal. Yeah, and Elvis Costello and uh-huh. Devo. And but what year did he... Do the the Elvis Costello do the the radio radio thing? Yeah, that we that was yes. I can't remember what yeah. was. That's uh, fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, that was uh, Lauren was pretty mad at him for that. <laughs> <laughs> Only because you know we the show is timed to the second, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it set off the time and meant right. things had to be cut and you know. Yeah, because Saturday Night Live. Had, for those who don't know, Elvis Costello, his label wanted him to play. I guess like I don't know. Allison or whatever the right. sort of single was, mm-hmm. and they started playing, and he said, "No, there's no reason to do that song." Mm-hmm. And then just <laughs> ripped into this amazingly sort of energetic rendition of Radio Radio, which had been banned in England, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Mm. Which, when you imagine now, when you look at listen to the song, why? Yeah, it's 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 a great moment, probably available. It's certainly available on the DVDs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I I do want to. Uh, Start moving away from uh, from Saturday Night Live. Um, so, you know, I think I think for many people, um, again, I, I apologize. I hope this doesn't sound too insulting. I think for a lot of people, 
they know that you know you started doing movies and and you did some some more television and stuff like that. But I think for a lot of people, like my mom, for example, um, they may not know what you've done since then. No, and, that's or that's perfectly after. reasonable. And you know, I've I've done movies that you know are not memorable. You know, they're not <laughs> great movies. So you know, I, you do, I understand you know? that. Um, and so, but I do. But one thing that is interesting is that you have moved, not not uh, exclusively, but you've moved into uh, voice work, mm-hmm. and that is that's always been a field that fascinates me. Like yeah, I said, we, we've had Maurice LaMarchon and, and Townsend Coleman. Townsend Coleman. Yeah. Um, but the difference between you and and them is that they now, of course, Maurice LaMarche was a stand up uh, stand up comedian first, but he was not a live action actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Townsend Coleman was a radio radio personality, but like you actually had like on camera acting experience, mm-hmm. and I, f- I I feel like you know when you when you talk to to other actors who they do voiceover for the first time and they say like oh man it was so difficult to make that transition um, because I'm so used to using my face and my body and mm-hmm. I have to only use my voice was that a difficult transition for you at all? Um, first of all. I I found myself in the car driving a lot because mm-hmm. I have two kids mm-hmm. for long periods of time. And what I did was I took a class with Charlie Adler, for one thing, who is a major animation director and performer. Um, he taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. I also got DVDs from Costco <laughs> of all the... 40s and 30s radio shows mm. and I listened to voice acting and I learned a lot from that because it is a really different craft mm. it's a really different craft and um, I auditioned for two years to try and get into animation voiceover and finally I got mm. a job and I've been working ever since but you know um, the people who do it who are real voiceover artists have skills that are unimaginable, mm-hmm. like Frank Welker and uh, Tress McNeil. Mm-hmm. Um, they do sound effects, and they do characters that you would Im- can't imagine come out of people that are that sex and that age. Mm-hmm. And I don't or a f- person. Or a person, <laughs> like, like right. Frank, uh, Frank Welker. They've got that story of him saying, like... Uh, him asking, now how big is this flock of geese? Like, right. is it just a few or is it a whole lot? Because right. I can do both. Exactly. Like, that astounds me. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry to no, you. I mean, you know, Steve Martin told me that he used to do stand up and Frank would do stand up. And he told me about Frank doing a, a group of ducks crossing a, 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 a ravine or something. <laughs> so, you know, he, they, they cut a large path. Mm-hmm. And I think that people don't realize on camera people don't realize the craft that it is and um i'm very interested in it i think that's what motivated me um was it difficult no it came really natural to me but it was difficult as you say to get into to, that's something yeah, that's because always fascinated me there's like it seems like there's like 30 people in Los Angeles doing voice acting, and they do voices on every show. At the time I started doing this, I was considered stunt casting because (laughs) I was considered a celebrity. Hmm. Now, you know, they're having major movie stars doing roles that really, I mean, if I'm going to get into, like, you know, what you would consider salacious content. Please do. (laughs) <laughs> it, it's it's really disheartening that they they do this because children don't know the difference. Mm-hmm. It's really I think 
I really don't know what the motivation is other than maybe these people want to meet these movie stars, the mm. directors and the, the writers or producers or whoever, um, because they really don't add that much. I mean, unless you're someone like Mike Myers or Eddie mm. Murphy. But, you know, the women, for the most part, they've been interchangeable, except Ellen DeGeneres mm -hmm. or, you know, people like Holly Hunter. You know, in The Incredibles, Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter, they're not what you would consider the A-list actors, and they did a phenomenal job. Yeah. But then they give A-list actors, you know, roles in other movies that don't do particularly well because mm -hmm. they're not really... They're not really doing the work that needs to be done to make it interesting. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, Pixar, whom you've worked with mm -hmm. uh, plenty, uh, particularly uh, I like uh, your stuff in WALL-E a lot, um, but uh, um, they've been great at that. You know, you mentioned The Incredibles, mm -hmm. but casting like, uh, you know, Dave Foley and Patton Oswalt and Jeff Garland in, right. in, in WALL-E, right. like clearly these people are stars who are not known for voice acting, but clearly they're casting them because... They bring something interesting. Yeah, and Dave Foley level. is, you know, Kids in the Hall is a sketch show. They do characters. Patton Oswalt, if you listen to his stand-up, he does character voices. Mm -hmm. You know, they know what they're doing. And even with Toy Story, you know, Tom Hanks is a credible voice actor. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. knows how to convey things with his voice. Yeah, and he was, I mean, he, he, was, he was cast in Toy Story before he had... Uh, I think he had even won the Oscar for Philadelphia, and before he had even done oh, Forrest yeah. Gump, because it takes there's such a long lead time on these on these movies. So he uh, he wasn't necessarily the. Uh, the mm, I the, don't know about that. I'm not sure chronologically if that's the case. Well, I know he was an A-list actor. Yeah, but I, I, he hadn't won any Oscars yet. I think when he was cast mm -hmm. in, in Toy Story, he had been nominated a few years before for Big. But yeah, as far right. as like one of the absolute biggest guy like at, at this point he's almost hollywood royalty yeah mm -hmm. um, and uh, he was big at the time i'm not sure if i but and i feel i almost feel like toy story helped launch him into that uh among other things because at this point i mean you know my nephew is nine yes nine <laughs> years old and uh you know woody and buzz i mean he grew up with them and he would throw it in all the time and and uh and then after a while like woody and buzz were like the Mickey Mouse of, of Pixar, and I feel like those characters wouldn't have been as solid if it weren't for not necessarily the name actors of Tom Hanks and Tim Allen, though they were names, um, but what they managed to bring to it. You know, they're still putting in the effort, and I feel like that's that's what you're talking about. There are some some name actors who I don't mean to say they come in like all cocky and stuff, but like you said, they don't they don't understand that. Like, no, you still need to act. I know you've got the the, the lines in front of you. And you're, you don't you feel like because you don't have to pull faces or anything like that, you don't have any work to do. But no, you've got more work to do now. Yeah, I mean, they don't know how to play comedy with their voices. Mm -hmm. You know, Tim Allen understood the joke of uh, Buzz Lightyear, you know, having this grandiose personality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, he understood how to play that. Mm -hmm. um, not every actor is going to know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Not every you know, movie star or whatever. I mean, I know this sounds so bitter, it's terrible. But, <laughs> you know, it's... Um, I remember doing um, a session for DreamWorks. Uh, and I was in this session with a guy who has a regular role on SpongeBob, a guy, who, Jess Harnell, hmm. uh, Debbie Derryberry, who's the voice of Jimmy Neutron, 
a bunch of other like A-list animation people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're in there doing what we've often done, which is improvising content in the hopes of getting some lines in in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the directors were very non-committal. And when I left, I realized what we had done was given them a guide track. Yeah. That's all we had done was give them a guide track. And at that point, I I just, I became very disheartened. Mm-hmm. Up until then, I really felt it was a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. And I realized after that that it wasn't, or mm-hmm. it no longer was. And it, it, was, it just broke my heart. And I don't think that what you're saying comes across, I, I mean, some people might say like, oh, she's just bitter. It isn't. Because it's not merely like, well, this is your career. It's not right for the film. It's not right for the for the character. Um, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, and, and I were talking the other day about Kung Fu Panda 2. Now, I like, I, I, I've only seen the first one, but I love the first one. And he said the second one was pretty good, not great. But um, but in that, and like Jack Black does a good job. He's Dustin Hoffman does a good job. Ian McShane in the first one does a good job. And, and Angelina Jolie. Whereas... The other actors, like I hate, to, like I think Lucy Liu is a very good actress, but like, what does she really bring to that part? Nothing. Whereas, and, I sorry, that sounds really. No, I'm sorry. I'm just. It's, what? Yeah, it's okay for you and me to, to name names, but I don't want to. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll do it down. so you don't have to. I don't want you to burn any bridges. We don't have any bridges. Um, we're trying to build one, but uh, and so, you know, and that's the thing. It's, I'm not saying she's a bad actress, but like. When you say, like, oh, hey, Lucy Lou's in that, like like you said, a kid doesn't know. All they know is that, oh, this snake is visually interesting. I wish that there was, a, you know, an interesting voice to go along with it. The kid might not be thinking that conscious of a thought. But it, the work suffers. The, the, the art suffers. And I feel like that's why if someone were to cu- accuse you of bitterness, you can, you know, a person could come back and say, it's, a, it's about the character and the art first and foremost, and that's why... I lament this because I I don't do voiceover work and it bothers me. Uh, I spent I spent a lot of time in traffic because I have a long commute and I remember every bus for a while had a big ad on the back of it that said Johnny Depp in Rango and I'm sort of of two minds about this sort of thing because on the one hand I want voice actors to be credited and recognized but on the other hand it seems like yeah the things the casting Lake Bell or Lucy Liu or even even Johnny Depp. You're just basically casting them so you can put their name on the poster, mm-hmm. and that also speaks to one of the other things that I that we've we've said we do like about Pixar, and I feel like a, a, a studio's uh, instinct to cast a big name actor for the express reason of pulling in adults. Um, I feel like that is that's indicative of of a deeper flaw in their thinking creatively, because like you said, The Incredibles is always the example I go to because. Really, who wants to see Craig T. Nelson? Not because he's a bad actor. I think he's a great actor. Um, but he's not... I wouldn't go as far as say he's a draw. The same with, like, Ed Asner or something like that and Up. But they're right for the role. And the and as such, the parents don't feel... Or, you know, adults don't feel pandered to. And say, in the same way, a lot of uh, animated films will incorporate, like, just really stupid middle-of-the-road, like, sex jokes because they feel like, well, we got to get have something for the parents. It's like, no, no, no. If you just do what's right for the part or mm-hmm. do what's right for the film, people will pay attention. There's no, there's none of those in, like, Up or Wally. Like, it's just a compelling film where they cast the right actor and they, and they 
did and they wrote the characters well and consistently, mm-hmm. and uh, and all that. But uh, enough enough complaining, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pipe down, Mister. But uh, <laughs> what, one thing that I, that I wanted to to ask you about is that uh, like if one were to look at your IMDb page and voice work, you're you're often listed un, under additional voices, mm-hmm. and that's ADR. It's oh, okay. basically ADR. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what is that? What does that entail? Like, is it, is it the thing that that Pat Mouseholt talks about in one of his routines of just like characters shouting funny things off screen mm-hmm. to try and to try and make yeah. them be funnier? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. And that sounds like its own kind of challenge, where they're just like. You're almost a ringer at that point. They just bring yeah. you in and, and all right. It, be and f- if it's funny enough, they'll, yeah. you know, in the mix, they'll boost it. I mean, really, it is it's so fucking degrading. <laughs> it's really. Um, I'm sorry to have brought it up. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really just scrambling for crumbs. What can I tell mm-hmm. you? But, you know, the residuals are really good. And the <laughs> okay, sessions good. are actually kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's just really daunting. Yeah. Um. What, uh, what, because that, and that's actually what I was curious about is, is what does that mean? Because you'll find that as a credit in various people's, like, you know, filmography is additional voices. And I never knew what that was because my, my thought was always, oh, well, did these characters have a name? But no, it's part of, uh, you know, stuff being thrown out there. And, and, right. I mean, you know, in, in, I think, and, you know, I do a lot of these. I forget mm-hmm. the ones that I do. I saw an ad for Happily Never After, and I thought, why didn't I work on that? And then, I, you know, someone called me like a week later and said, hey, nice work in Happily Never After. <laughs> you know? And I think I was like a dresser, uh-huh. you know, or a piece of furniture that spoke. Mm-hmm. You could hear me. And I was a pelican, and I had lines in Monsters, Inc. I was a character in Monsters, Inc. Mm-hmm. But because I did it in ADR session, I didn't get a cast. I, was, uh-huh. I wasn't in the cast. So it's just, and it was under five lines. Hmm. Um, yeah, you could hear me loud and clear. And also, I'm the first line you ever hear in uh, Monsters, Inc. I'm hmm. the mother saying okay. goodnight to the child. But it's um, ADR, yeah, additional voices can mean anything from mm-hmm. crowd sounds to the funny comment that, you know, ry- you know chimes through the crowd. And my my question is with character you know with characters like that where some of them like aren't even really like a three you know three dimensional well multi dimensional character or whatever um, you know it seems like for a voice actor that would be incredibly difficult we've talked about this with like Townsend Coleman and stuff but the idea of like having to you know you're the mother like how do how do you determine how okay how would a mother sound should i just do my own voice i'm a mother or do i have to layer something on like how do you go about crafting characters that don't give you a whole lot to work with well you usually go by the situation mm-hmm. and the age of the child and it's both those things okay i mean and also the specs will tell you what kind of mother it is yeah yeah so angry mother mommy dearest <laughs> That's a reference they haven't uh, worked into an animated film yet. Come on, DreamWorks, get with the program. Uh, yeah, it, it does seem like uh, between having voice actors like you know you and, and Maurice and Townsend, and then having uh, Doug Jones, it seems like voice actors and like costume actors are mm-hmm. the like I don't even know what the word the most maligned actors in the system. What is a costume actor? Um, he's like 
Doug, Doug Jones, did you see Hellboy? Yeah. He's uh, Abe Sapien. The yeah. Oh, wow. And he was in... Uh, He's the Silver Surfer in Fantastic Four. Oh, my God. Two. But not the voice of the Silver Surfer. Yeah. Got it. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. He was in Pan's Labyrinth. He oh. was Pan and the uh, pale man with the eyes in his hands and stuff. So. What does this guy look like? Tall and very thin. Um, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. It, 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 but there's a lot of, you know, there's a hand, just like there's, uh, I talk about this sort of. Well, that's a very specialized thing yeah, that, yeah. that I don't think it's ever existed before. You know, mm-hmm. that's just a, a new entity. Yeah. Not since, like, silent film. And uh, why would it been. be maligned? Well, I'm not sure I if think, it's. I just, I, I, I think. Uh, it hasn't been around long enough to be made fun <laughs> of. Dang it. I, I, I think studios put, you know, quote-unquote actors in terms of real-life people you see on screen and cast in romantic comedies above uh, someone who either you only hear their voice or, in Doug Jones's case, you never hear their voice. Studios <laughs> undervaluing talent? Why <laughs> I? <laughs> well, I and, mean, you know, the physicality uh, conveyed with no speaking mm-hmm. is a real craft. And and I think that and I think he would be the first to say that because he's under you know layers of makeup, the general attitude of the studio is like, well, really anybody can do it. The makeup does the work, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, really, what did Boris Karloff bring to Frankenstein's monster? <laughs> oh, wait, everything, <laughs> right? Um, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it's it's a very frustrating, it's a very frustrating thing for people uh, who play an incredibly crucial role. I think in. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically performers, because as far as like you know, certain crew members, well, they've they've long since been uh, dismissed as uh, not that <laughs> yeah, important. Yeah, it, it's not Darth Vader, <laughs> right? You know, it's a lot different. Yeah, but uh, and so we uh, we are starting to uh, you know get to the the ending point. But I did want to, uh, as we do, and as we've been kind of uh, leaning towards lately, I was interested in asking you about uh, movies you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Movies that perhaps influenced you and that sort of thing. Or, or movies you've seen lately that you really enjoyed. You mentioned Bridesmaids already. Yeah. But, and my, uh, my, my standard question to, to work into the general question is, what, uh, what DVDs do you own that you find yourself throwing in most often? Or Blu-ray, David. Or Blu-ray, yeah. Well, I, I hate... My husband buys DVDs, and I, I'm ready to kill him because, <laughs> you know, there's no reason to buy them anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, we all have Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Um but, uh, and this is so pathetic because we don't even have a, a, a cassette player anymore. I own Dawn of the Dead, the you know, cassette of Dawn mm-hmm. of the Dead. That's mm-hmm. probably the only movie, one of the few movies I ever bought. The other movie I bought is God Told Me To, <laughs> the Larry Cohen movie. Yeah. As you can see, I have a genre that yeah. I like. Uh, ever since I was small, I, I've always loved horror and science fiction. I had a subscription to Creepy and Fangoria and Famous Monsters. and hmm. um, I'm a horror nerd. Um, so I'm always, and I like action movies a lot. Uh, I like legal movies. Uh, I guess. I mean, I, I love movies. I love most movies. Um, well, I'm trying to think of what I've seen recently. I liked Hannah. I thought that mm-hmm. was terrific. Um, I thought that Scream 4 was awful. It was so dull. <laughs> I really liked it. Personally. Did you really? Yeah. I didn't I've, see it. I have so found I'm... it, yeah, to be rather divisive. It was so predictable. 
um, just dull. I mean, this is the thing when they call it, you know, uh, horror porn. Uh-huh. Not that this was that gory. I mean, the Saw movies, the original Saw movie was fantastic. It was so original and yeah. And am I wrong in saying kind of darkly comic, the first one? Like, it, I it remember had, laughing a little I, bit. I'm trying to remember <laughs> if it had elements of that. I, I, it's so long ago. But, David, you're insane. Is what apparently. You're saying. But yeah. after a while, it becomes an endurance test. Mm-hmm. How, how, how much can you keep your eyes open? Mm-hmm. You know, movies like Hostel uh, – and I'm trying to think of... There was one called Wor- uh, Wolf Creek that I heard was, like, really just horrible. I saw Wolf horrible. Creek in the theater, yeah. It's uh, pretty pretty brutal. Yeah. Was yeah. It wasn't great. It's an Australian movie. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. Enough said. Enough said, mate. Um, some are just endurance tests mm. about how long you can watch it. Mm-hmm. And they don't have any suspense. There's no cat and mouse. There's no real finesse to it. And but that, that, I feel oh, like this is like uh, just recently we had Matt Besser on uh, the show talked to him for an hour about UCB and all this stuff and then it came out at the end that he has seen every like dance movie ever made now I'm like oh why wasn't that the episode and now uh, I feel like <laughs> we have to have you back and just talk about horror movies well we do have about much. about ten to fifteen minutes we can <laughs> okay. at least talk about that so uh, you mentioned ho- Hostel so are you not you were not a fan. Of I liked Hostel. So did I. I lot. really did like it. Because um, I feel like that has exactly what you're talking about, the sort of the, it does, the story and the cat and mouse type of Exactly. Thing. And and the violence in it is just, you know, it's real tough to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I do keep my eyes open. But, um, you know, uh, the thing about those kind of movies is, you know, human evil is probably the scariest thing you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. And... Movies that are in that genre, um, just ultimately are disturbing, especially since I became a parent. Uh-huh. You know, I could be yeah. detached about it and and love it with my popcorn and my soda, but I have a different attitude. I still watch. My husband can't at yeah. all. Hmm. Uh, I can still watch him, but after a certain point, I can't. I'm I'm very much the same way. I like many, like many, you know, young. Like teenage boys, like I was fascinated by like violence and movies and gore and all that sort of thing. And then as I got older, and then like, and I, you know, I lost some loved ones, and then I gained others. You know, I got married, and all of a sudden, like, I just couldn't. It, it really amount of gore is not usually what bothers me so much as the attitude behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, there's a movie, uh, the one that I that I always go to. Listeners are probably tired of hearing about it. Is called The Descent. Uh, oh my god! Which I uh-huh. love. Oh, it's so good. And but it's it's, <sighs> and it's pretty bloody. Yeah. But the attitude behind it, like, there's actual weight to, yeah. to yeah. what's happening, mm-hmm. and it's not just like, I mean, and I can enjoy like just a crazy splatter fest as well that doesn't take itself too seriously. But like, there are some. Well, this has the, science in it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like there's for you, cave dwellers. Um, you kind of have to be on on one side, of, like, uh, yeah. The Descent and even, like, the first Hostel, they do take the deaths of the characters seriously. Mm-hmm. And so while it makes it hard to watch, it's still respectful. The other way you can go and make it work is uh, George Romero's Land of the Dead, which has, like, a guy, like, <laughs> getting his arm ripped off and then falling on the grenade that was in his hand. And, like, it, it, or, or, like, the Final Destination movies where it's just, like... The oh, my slither. God. Now, here's, here's my thing <laughs> about slither. Final Destination, also a great movie. And I found myself... <laughs> <laughs> Sitting next to John Landis when I went to see um, 
uh, um, District 9. Mm. And so we're watching the previews, and they preview the new Final Destination. And he looks at me, and he goes, already? (laughs) (laughs) Are we making it already? But, you know, whenever I see a Final Destination, I always think there's got to be a room full of people thinking, okay, let's figure out the ways in which people could die in this movie. And it looks, it just, I always think it's got to be the most fun room yeah. imaginable. Yeah. And I have to assume the first guy to say the word story gets fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think oh, it's that Oh, God. Important. It's like a Rube Goldberg puzzle. Yeah. You know, the mayonnaise drips out of the sandwich and <laughs> yeah. falls onto the floor, and the custodian slips, and his mops you know, <laughs> goes down the hall and falls down the, st- you know. Yeah. Oh, God. It's just. Yeah, I oh, think so the, uh, elaborate. in the third one where the, the the two girls die in the tanning beds. Oh, like, yes. There's so much stuff that has to go wrong for that to happen and for the guy to be locked out of the room. I know. It's, it's, it's just, That's part of the fun. And I, ju- I just saw just the other night um, when I went to see True Legend, uh, the new Hong Kong movie, um, I just finally saw the trailer for Final Destination 5. 5 Null Destination. 5 Null Destination, although it didn't say that because <laughs> I was bummed. Oh. I was bummed. Um, which includes... Uh, a LASIK eye surgery gone horribly wrong. Oh, I saw that. I I saw it. I saw it. Oh, God. And here's the brilliance of that. We all, much like Marathon Man with dentists, like, there are certain things that everyone's like, very visceral. I have to do this. Like, you have to go to the dentist. Now imagine the dentist does not care if you're comfortable You may never want to go to the dentist again. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, I think I'll get that, try that LASIK stuff. I can't imagine how horrible that turns out. um, Oh. My, my my point earlier though is that it seems like if you go one of these two ways, mm-hmm. uh, I can deal with it. The one that's in the middle, and even though I think uh, Piranha 3D was not an awful movie, but it was it's something I can never see myself watching again because it's just a massacre, and I I don't know if I'm like I feel like the movie just. It's not trying to make it funny, but it's also not trying to make it realistic. It just doesn't care about human, <laughs> human life, and it, and it I, like I miss upsets that. me. Now I'm dying to see it. <laughs> well, uh, but how could you like Scream Four? Come on, support that. I think um, I liked it as uh, less as a horror movie and more as a Scream movie, if that makes sense. Because the Scream sort of franchise has almost become its own like a genre unto itself, where it's it's. Uh, but they did that in three. But three, they didn't do it well. I said I didn't like the third one, so I think this was this but was this better. But w- this wasn't like a makeup quiz, you know. It, it really, it didn't uh, elevate it at all in my mind. It was, and it was boring. That was the problem because it was so predictable. It was dull. See, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see that because it is. Uh, it, there is a lot of. I, I couldn't be dull, bored because it was uh, sadistic the way that the first two were, and that definitely kept me uh i don't know if interested is the right word but it kept me from getting bored because uh uh even if it is predictable yeah you know you, you know the two cops are gonna get stabbed in you're this just scene. sentimental it's but, like oh here that comes yeah maybe that's what it is because <laughs> i i do like that 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 scream for like makes reference to the fact that you've had like the saw movies and stuff uh since since the third scream movie there's been this uh, this new element introduced into horror movies. I like that they reference that early on, and then they say, "No, but Scream is no longer about the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Scream is now a Scream movie. So we're going to do that. We're going to go back to it. You know, in, it's in some ways. And again, this 
supports your argument that it's predictable. Uh, Scream 4 is almost a remake of Scream, mm-hmm. uh, you know? Uh, and I can see why that is predictable, but personally I liked it. And maybe it is nostalgia or just uh, me just being a big fan of the first two Scream movies. Uh, well, if you're entertained, you're it. entertained. I mean, uh-huh. did a noise just come out of the computer? I'll cut this out. I'm sorry. No, I didn't hear you. Okay. It's it's the sproingy from the uh, oh. microphone arm. I oh, okay, maybe it was that. Sorry, I'll cut that out. <laughs> but what, what what sound does that make? Sproingy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds exactly uh, like it's spelled. Um, <laughs> and I feel like that's uh, with horror movies. The the thing that you mentioned the idea of him being sentimental, and I, one thing, okay, I don't like slasher movies, but I'm infinitely fascinated by the concept of slasher movies and their popularity. And, like, I've watched a lot of, you know, uh, like Netflix Watch Instantly uh, little one-hour documentaries about the the appeal of them and how people respond to them and that sort of thing and the history of them. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting how big of a role with with some movie genres, but there's something about horror where there's a, a predictability, and I've not seen Scream 4, so I can't speak to it being predictable or not, but there's, you know that something is coming, and you want it to come. Like, you know that this co-ed or whatever is about to get sliced with a machete, and you welcome it. And that does seem to be a huge, and it seems to be a surprisingly acceptable thing you know, in horror specifically. Um, and I don't know why. Well, we talked about, uh, you know, okay, so Scream, yes, uh, especially the first one, like, it points out sort of the, the tropes or the cliches <laughs> of, uh, of, of the slasher movies. But there's a movie that we have talked about on the show before called Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. We had the star of the show, Nathan Basil, as a guest. I don't know that movie. Oh, it's, it's good stuff. You would enjoy it. Wh- wh- whereas Scream just points out, the, points out what the cliches are. Behind the Mask is actually like, uh, a sort of essay on the psychosocial and psychosexual reasons that the same thing has happened is at every... Is it a documentary or fiction? No, it's, it's like a, a mockumentary It's a mockumentary. Kind of it's the, the, the premise is that um, there's... And I can't remember her name now, the actress. She's fantastic in it. Um, is Angela making, Goths? I don't yes, know if that's how you pronounce it. Uh, she is making a documentary for her college class in which she has found someone who is a real-life, like, Michael Myers mm-hmm. or, or, or... And in the world of the film... Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees are all real people. They all existed, yes. Yeah. So it, it, she's, what a great premise. So she's going to follow him as he oh. plans his first, the first Where installment of his franchise. It's on, it's on DVD. And there's a sequel coming out soon called Before the Mask. Ah, I can't wait. Uh, Do you think it would be on Apple TV? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm, I'm unaware of Apple Netflix? TV. It is on Netflix. Oh, is that, I mean, is it on Watch Instantly, though? I mean, it, you can you, get the it disc. used to be. I don't know if it still is, but, uh, but you can get the disc from Netflix. Uh, but yeah, it's very. It's it's it. It also just works as a horror movie, uh, mm. and it has um, uh, it has Robert Englund in it, who played Freddy. It has Zelda Rubinstein from from Poltergeist. Yeah. Yeah. It has all these sort of references for horror fans. It's a great movie. Wow. It's yeah, and and I feel like that's those are the those are the horror movies that I relate to or respond to. I don't relate to them, but I respond <laughs> to them because. Um, even even the ones you're talking about where they're clearly having fun with it, as long as there's a bit of wit attached to it, and that's what Final Destination has, I think, by and large. And that's what, because I saw Piranha 3D, um, and that's what it lacked. Like, it had, like, gross-out gags, and it occasionally I, I think the main leaned thing towards with, that. With Piranha 3D and with a lot of slasher movies, and this is actually talked about in the first Scream, is the fact that... 
uh, the people who make them and the people who watch them seem to be uh, often both uh, um, have almost a juvenile fascination with nudity and sex, but then also a self-hatred about it where they want to see themselves and the characters punished for being interested in sex. Mm -hmm. And I feel like after Scream, you should kind of you, we've kind of gotten to a postmodern idea where that's supposed to be recognized, and the, my my problem with Piranha 3D God, we're way past that. Yeah, my <laughs> yeah. problem with Piranha 3D is that it falls into that old. It's it's full of naked people the entire movie, and then naked people getting sliced in half and and, and chewed up, and it clearly has a very conflicted uh, idea or 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 sense of itself when it comes to sex. It's an and American it, movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say it's the American movie. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I, I will, uh, we do need to finish up, but I do want to uh, ask you, because I didn't, I didn't know until uh, you mentioned it that, uh, that you're a big horror fan. Um, what are some of your favorite horror movies? Or, if you will, what do you think is the scariest horror movie? Oh, God. I don't think I could name one, okay. really. Um, but, Originally, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was because it was so realistic, because it was shot so poorly, and and I I know that it was intentionally done that way. Mm -hmm. Um, It looked real in that, and and the way that Night of the Living Dead also, because it was shot so poorly, it looked like it was a newscast, a newsreel. And that had an effect of it being real. Mm -hmm. And again, human evil. There was nothing supernatural about it. These were not monsters. These were human monsters. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the first movie I ever saw where, you know, someone in a wheelchair was not mm-hmm. exempt from this. Right. So they and broke a lot of noble. rules. He was an annoying, an annoying character. I'm sorry? He was like an annoying character in the, like, yeah. he, like <laughs> usually like, it's just like, oh, the, the wheelchair kid, he's going to make it. It's right. like, ugh, this guy's kind of a bother. You do, <laughs> but at the same time, he's a very human bother. And so when he gets it, you're just like, ah, oh, like just, it's so hopeless. It, it's such a, it's such a hard and fast rule up until that point that those mm-hmm. things never happened in a movie. And, you know, and cannibalism, of course, that's such a fundamental primal fear for mm-hmm. people. So I think at that point, but also the ring scared the crap out of mm. me. Um, Did you, um, have you seen, have you seen the original, the, the, the Japanese no, ring goo? No, I um, haven't. It's um, not bad. It doesn't make any sense. Like a lot yeah, of I heard there's J-Horror like a dragon movie. in it. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, come on. Uh, yeah, it, dragons are scary, right? Yeah, I just, I, I have to put, you know, take my hat off to the person who saw the potential in that one <laughs> as a remake. Just having read the synopsis of the Japanese one. Um, but I will say the, um, uh, I didn't hate The Grudge, but that's when I actually do like the Japanese film Juon uh, better than the American remake. Um, the What was the one with the phone? Oh, um... Last call or something like that. One the, missed call. One missed call. The Japanese version is fantastic. Yeah, hmm. yeah. And it's it's interesting that like because I I am often like scared of the ones like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it's 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 human horror but it's also the realizations like these are just people and they are so they lack so much sympathy for others and you I can't talk them into it but then I am also much you know it's interesting how many people describe the ring as being terrifying because really there's not a lot of there's not a lot of gore there's not a lot of violence it's all very psychological it's and it's inescapable just, yeah mm-hmm. 
That's yeah. what was, you know... Um, it's unrelenting. Yeah. And it also specifically comments on the fa- that, that the sort of bastion of of safeness that you have when you watch a movie. The, as, far, as terrifying as it might be, a part of you knows it's a movie. But The Ring is a movie where... It's coming watching, out of the TV! <laughs> it, 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 it actually can come out of... It literally comes out of the TV. And I yeah. think that... that uh, uh, that that fear is definitely a part of why uh, why the ring's so effective. Inevitability is something that frightens me a lot. Did you see um, a movie that I don't think is listed as horror? It's more of a drama, but it's terrifying to me. Uh, Open Water. Yes. Yeah. That is one of the most exhausting movies. Yeah. That's and, that's rough. And horrifying. And it's supposed to be based on a true story too. I think so, but I'm. But then, how could it be if nobody survived? Yeah. Hey, what the? <laughs> like after a certain point, it's like, oh, these divers went out and didn't come back. I guess it's just speculation. From I there, guess right? what yeah. must have happened is this. <laughs> well, this is this has been uh, both very informative. And revelatory. I also didn't know you were such a horror movie fan. That's a, a lot of fun. Uh, thank you so much, Lorraine. This has been great. Thanks, guys. It was really show. fun. Um, you at home can find us at battleshipretention.com. Email us, David at battleshipretention.com, Tyler at battleshipretention.com. I'm on Twitter at The Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at More Lessons, which is the uh, official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, at morethanonelesson.com. And my other podcast is the weekly television review show, Previously On, which you can find at previouslyonshow.com. So, Lorraine, where can people find you on the internet? Well, LorraineNewman.com is my website, and I'm also, I have the, the Lorraine Newman fan page, which is really just a professional page. Mm-hmm. Facebook calls it a fan page, which I know has a terrible connotation. <laughs> uh, I wish I could call it something else, but all the people that are on that page are really cool people, and I like meeting people through that. Mm-hmm. Okay. No Twitter for you? I'm not on, I'm not on the Twitter yet. <laughs> I am, and I wish I, w- I wish I was, and I feel like I can't, I don't write anything good ah, on there. I love it; it's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, real quick, because this is going up yes. tomorrow. Yes. Um, next Saturday, June fourth, eight p.m. at Meltdown Comics. Uh, it's 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 ten bucks. I know they've been five bucks in the past. We're under new management. It's only five bucks more. You'll be fine. And plus, it's BYOB, so you won't have to spend that five bucks tipping the bartender like like before when we were giving away free beer. So BYOB. Ten bucks, Meltdown Comics at seventy five twenty two Sunset Boulevard. Uh, Who do we got there? June fourth at eight p.m. I'm, I'm getting there. Okay, sorry. First off, Tyler and I are going to be there, right there. There's, Enough there, said. There's your ten bucks worth. <laughs> is that is that the approach we're taking? Yeah, but we've got um, uh, Josh Fadum, uh, you know, Battleship Retention favorite Josh Fadum. Um, uh, recent addition to the Friends of the Show list, uh, Susan Burke. Although. Her her episode will be coming going up after the live. Oh show. yeah, you guys haven't heard Susan's episode yet. Well, the hilarious. Trust me, Susan Burke is hilarious, and uh, you will love to see her there. Also, of course, Mike Schmidt from the Forty Year Old Boy Podcast. Um, one of you know one of the one of the podcasters who's the reasons we start reason we started doing podcasts. And then he who had a, probably about the funniest comedy album last year. Mm-hmm. Called Death of the Party, Kyle Kinane will be headlining the show. So it's uh, you're easily going to get your ten bucks worth and be all the ob you can. <laughs> Byob, uh, bring all the own booze you can. That's oh, okay. what I meant by that. Um, 
it'll be a, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so please come out June fourth, eight PM, Meltdown Comics. Absolutely, Loren. Thank you for uh, thank you for being thank on the show. Thank you, fellas. It was a lot of fun. Same here. I agree. All right. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. 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 All right. <laughs>